Hello, everyone, and welcome to Game on Girl Live. This is our June episode of our Game on Girl Hangout, where we get together and we talk about lots of geeky stuff. Uh, we have some new people joining us today, uh, but I'll start off with I'm Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz, uh, one of the primary hosts of Game on Girl. And we have Rhonda. Hi, guys. It's Rhonda Oglesby, uh, one of the hosts of Game on Girl. And we have Mark. Hello, I'm Mark, Mark Scholl, at Marzoller on Twitter. Yep, who's one of our writers for Game on Girl. And we have newbies, Micah and Jason, joining us. Say hi, guys. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> They're going to be showing us something pretty exciting a little later in the show. And Micah is on board to join us as a new writer for the site. So, Please. welcome. Welcome on multiple, on multiple levels here. So, how's everybody doing for a Sunday? Shoo. Shoo. Yeah, been going a million miles an hour all day, and I looked up at the clock, and it was 4 o'clock, and I'm like, ah, have a show to do. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how my day went, too. Yeah. Like, okay, I, gotta, I have like 40 minutes until I need to be ready. I need to go. Yeah, but that's how Sundays work sometimes, right? Yeah. Cool. All right, so to start the show off today, um, we want to do a quick uh, tribute to a great film icon. Sir Confidently Lee. Say icon, Sir Christopher Lee, uh, who passed away this week. Uh, so I thought we could share either favorite moments or favorite characters or favorite stories about him. Um, any media? Oh. <laughs> Rhonda, what is that? <laughs> My bartender. <laughs> Your bartender came through. <laughs> this is going to be a much better show now. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> All informal now. <laughs> is it happy hour yet on the uh, West Coast? It's always uh, happy hour. Yeah, exactly. You're never going to find anybody here, well, at least not in our circles, who's going to argue with you having a drink at the afternoon on a Sunday. <laughs> so you can toast. Right. I don't have anything to toast. So a toast to Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. There you go. All right. So I think one of my favorite performances is the first one I think I ever saw uh, for Christopher Lee, which was um, The Man with the Golden Gun. Oh. Cool. James Bond. Um, he was just so odd in that role. <laughs> like, seriously, just kind of crazy, weird guy. So, and I've always loved and remembered him for that one, so. Yeah, yeah I don't, I, no, I don't really have a memorable history. He's very much a character actor. If you go back and start with stuff, he's, he's been a part of, um, just a lot of a lot of different things, and you you look at it, you think, well, wow, what have I seen Christopher Lee in? Um, if it's not you know Lord of the Rings, right? Um, but <laughs> he does have a pattern. He's definitely a uh, geeky type actor. Lots mm -hmm. of sci-fi, lots of horror, and I got to looking through some of his titles, the older titles, and I cannot wait to track some of these down. Oh, interesting. I hadn't thought about doing that, but I know I've seen him as um, Dracula. 
Yeah, but some of these are just great. Um, let's see. After he did uh, calm things like the Scarlet Pimpernel, he did do Dracula, and he did a whole series of Fu Manchu stuff. Um, the Curse of Frankenstein. Where are these really? These these um, titles are just absolutely. Uh, Corridors of Blood. Um, Yuck. <laughs> Uncle was a vampire. Uh, City of the Dead. Um, the Terror of the Tongs. I think that's my favorite. That's a great title, just in general. Terror of the Tongs. Um, and and the, the, But just, you can tell, these are just absolutely fantastic old horror movies, and the, yeah. the titles are just um, to die for. Mm -hmm. So, oh yeah, and the, here's the Fu Manchu stuff. The Face of Fu Manchu, The Vengeance of Fu Manchu, Torture Chamber of Dr. Sadism, The Devil Rides Out, The Blood <laughs> of Fu Manchu, Sax Roamers, The Castle of Fu Manchu. I mean, this is fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Well, you're going to have to report back to us and give us, like, a top three when you watch them, which ones we yeah. should check out. What about you, Mark? What do you have for, like, favorite roles well, or memories I mean, or scenes? I mean, his his roles like we could are, are the easy stuff to talk about. I, I, I love the fact that uh, in, I think it was 2008, he recorded a metal album. <laughs> Actually, so, we've on metal albums uh, dating to the early 2000s. There's a band called Rhapsody of Fire, and yeah. from the very first band, or very first album, he's been doing a lot of the voiceovers and singing on a couple other songs, and he's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that, that says it all. I mean, <laughs> you know, a guy in his late 80s that is like, let's record a metal album. Let's do that. <laughs> so that, that, that's one of the things I love about him. But, I mean, going back, you know, to the beginning, you know, not the beginning of his life, but earlier in his life, very early in his life, you know, he was uh, in World War II and, you know, fought, not just for the British, but like fought for the Finnish army at the beginning of the war, I think against the Russians, um, and was then part of the, the Royal Air Force as an intelligence officer, and from what he says, he was um, oftentimes attached to um, the SOE and such, So, and was, you know, basically, a, I, wouldn't, I don't know, not a spy per se, but, you know, special forces so in World War two and mm -hmm. that to me is just just the length of his life and the things that he's accomplished in his life are just amazing I mean if you ever wanted somebody to to be your hero to look up to to look at the scope of their life and the things they've accomplished I think he fits the bill to a T for anybody yeah I love the stories too about how um how he was such a Tolkien fan and mm -hmm. uh, he he really pushed to be a wizard in um, the Lord of the Rings when Peter Jackson was doing it. Although I think he wanted to be Gandalf. Yeah, he wanted to be Gandalf. Yeah. Though. He realized he had outgrown the role. He was a little too old. Now. Yeah, and and he just doesn't. He didn't have the face for it. Gandalf had to have a certain um, a certain softness. I think about his face yeah. that Ian McKellen had that that you know Chris Lee didn't have. He very much had that. I mean, I you know he played a lot of bad guys, so I guess it kind of goes with the territory. But 
the severe sort of lines of his mm -hmm. face, I think fit Saruman better. So, yeah. what about you guys, Micah, Jason? What 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 things do you think of when you think of Christopher Lee? I think of um, you know debates with uh, Jason here because I actually haven't been a huge Christopher Lee fan. A lot of the only things that I know him from are like Star Wars and uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, and I wasn't a big fan of either of those trilogies. So. <laughs> <laughs> we have a running jo joke in the group that anything Micah doesn't like is gold, and if you <laughs> if he doesn't like it, you're gonna love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my first exposure to Christopher Lee is when I was a kid. Um, there was a movie called Safari 5000, which was kind of a Cannonball Run-esque uh, race movie. And I, I don't, it's been almost 30 years since I've seen it now. But uh, he was just kind of this smarmy, over-the-top, um, like wealthy industrialist or something like that. And he was sponsoring uh, a car in the race, and he had a, a kind of a kooky sidekick in the car, and I remember he, he had this accent that I, I can't even place it again, like, it's been so long, but there was one line that's always stuck with me, where they were racing through the jungle, and there was a bunch of baboons in the way, and he said something like, there's baboons on the road, and the, the line just stuck with me, because it was like cheesy dialogue, but it was just delivered really good. And, <laughs> and then actually, um, that band Rhapsody of Fire, um, I actually got to run their merch booth when they did a concert in Portland, so I got to talk to them about what it was like to work with him. And I actually have all their albums, and yeah, I mean, he's just a fantastic singer. You wouldn't know it, but then you listen to like, wow, this guy's got a voice. Yeah, uh, that's, it's interesting, the the, um, the breadth and ability that he had in terms of talent. And then you read about his biography, and uh, uh, he was friends with Ian Fleming, who was the author of James Bond. There's a lot of speculation that he was the... Uh, he was the inspiration for Bond. Thank you. Inspiration for James Bond. Mm -hmm. There's also stories like if you watch the Lord of the Rings uh, behind the scenes DVDs, there's a scene where Peter Jackson's directing a guy and he gets stabbed in the back and he wants him to scream a certain way and and Chris Berlin goes up and goes, no, Peter, that's not what it sounds like. And then everyone kind of on the set. <laughs> off for a moment. Yeah, the, <laughs> it was actually when Saruman in the extended cut was being stabbed by Grima Wormtongue. Uh, yep, and he yep. said, no, no, Christopher, I need you to do it like this. And Christopher said, Peter, do you know what it sounds like when a man is stabbed in the back? <laughs> no. Well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you win. Was, Chris, was he ever a pirate in any of his movies? He would have made a good pirate. Yeah, there's a pirate movie on the list. I'm sure he was. He's been, I, for a while, I think he had the record for the most movie appearances of any actor, but that might not be the huh? yeah. yeah, he still does, and he also has another world record that he was awarded not too long ago, um, basically along the lines of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Well, apparently you can do basically 2.6 degrees of uh, Christopher Lee. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, he's got um, The Pirate, the movie, The Devil Ship Pirates, The Pirates of Blood River, The Crimson Pirate. Yep. Yeah. Have to check those out. Yeah, those those would be my top picks to watch. I, I don't want to see Christopher Lee as a pirate. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely. Cool. Well...
We love you. Yes, we lo we do, and you will be missed. And uh, and I don't say icon very often, so no, definitely, definitely, he was an icon. And for our listeners and our watchers, um, what are some of your favorite roles? What are things that we're missing? Maybe maybe you've seen some of these more obscure movies. Let us know. Leave comments on the site gameongirl.com, and we'll uh, we'll check out your recommendations. So let's see. We've got we we are in the season right now of summer blockbusters, right? Big movies. So to speak. So to speak. <laughs> Although this summer season seems to be a lot of um, reboots, maybe. It's just Hollywood yes. days. Yeah, yeah. But it seems I, I saw that there there was something. Does anybody use the the app Time Hop? You know what it is. I know what it is. You talked about it. Yeah, I've talked about it before. So it it shows you that day in previous years in your social media, so you can see what you've posted previously on Facebook or Twitter. Um, and at the end of it, it always says, "On this day, X number of years ago, this happened." And so I think they launched Jurassic World um, exactly 20 years <laughs> to the day <laughs> from when they did Jurassic Park or whatever the year. I don't remember the year number necessarily, but it was the same. It was either the day before or the day of the launch of, or the, the release of Jurassic World was the release of Jurassic Park, so. Okay. Did anybody see it? Jurassic World? No. My neighbor did. He told me about it. <laughs> Micah, no? Uh, I, I tried to get the wife to go watch it last night, but she wasn't having none of it, because she's never seen the original Jurassic Park, Whoa. I found out. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, she needs to see the original one, really. Yeah, definitely. Well, Regina, do you ever hear me say this very often? That was a sexist movie. No. That's not where that, you go. That's not your, like, like some, some critics will go straight to that. Yes. You go like, I'm going to think about it this way and this way and this way and this way and that way, and then get to maybe like considering the sexism. Okay, so the very one of the very last scenes of the movie, I actually groaned out loud and said, "You have got to be kidding me!" <laughs> yeah, that was one of the review headlines because I have I haven't seen it. I have no intention to see it. It's not something that that's sort of like on my radar. But um, one of the headlines, you know, review headlines said something like, "Jurassic takes the franchise. Jurassic World takes the franchise back, not one but several steps." Oh yeah, uh, in in equality and everything else. I mean, it's so blatant to me, that's what makes it, um, that's what makes it so ridiculous. So, without giving anything away, it's just an action movie. That's it. Um, I read some head uh, uh, headlines that said that it was CGI gone amok. Mm -hmm. Beautiful film. It's absolutely beautiful. The guys that worked on the CGI, that worked on the special effects, um, it's it's really absolutely actually glorious to watch the action. Um, I would see it again just for that, but it has no story. I don't know why they have Christopher Pratt in a movie because they don't use him. That hmm. he has one great line, and it's at the end of the movie. And besides that, they don't use him. Hmm. Um, so. The <laughs> besides the cast being um, extremely and obviously all white, um, 
the uh, the head CEO is Indian, and the head doctor is Asian. And I meant to look this up, but he may be he may be um, uh, the son or related to the original doctor in Jurassic Park. I didn't get a chance to look that up. But the um, head managing operator is female named Claire, and there's obviously some. Uh, previous history with her and the Christopher Pratt character. He plays Owen. I like your hand gestures there, Rhonda. Yeah, yeah, and I should be careful because I know some of those mean things in sign language. I apologize for all uh -huh. my sign language people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of things I'm learning. I just, I just need to quit talking with my hands. Um, <laughs> uh, but the, the, one of the main things is she is managerial. So she starts off, she's wearing um, a skirt, uh, a blouse, um, uh, belted blouse, and it's all in white. Of course, Chris Pratt works hands-on with the animals. He's wearing um, um, khaki-type safari pants, a shirt, and a vest. As the movie progresses, she gets more and more naked. His clothes never even rip. They don't get dirty. They don't change. I don't even think his hair is out of place. Uh. But when they start their adventure in the woods, she she unbelts her belt and she pulls up the top the the bottom of the shirt and ties it in a knot. Slows up her sleeves. It's like okay, that's fine. She's girding her loins for battle. That's fine. But as the film goes on, every stereotypical undressing of this woman that can happen, happens. The skirt gets ripped up ripped, to the thigh. Yeah. Yes. And so this just continually happens. And she eventually loses the shirt, of course. And um, But there's a scene where she actually has a little empowerment. She's She doesn't stumble through this movie, but they never give her credit for girding her loins and jumping in and going with this. He gets all the credit for everything. So there's a scene they show on um, in the trailer where the uh, the theme go party theme park goers are being attacked by the flying dinosaurs. Right. And Chris Pratt gets attacked and he's pinned down by this dinosaur. She grabs his gun and whacks it, pops up and kills it. It's like, oh, that's so cool. Chris Pratt jumps up and obviously that makes him extremely horny, so he grabs her and kisses her. <laughs> well, the little boys that they then are supposed to rescue and carry through other thing, think Chris Pratt from that scene, they're like, we want to follow him. He's cool. Right. right. It takes away all of the, the forward oh, momentum of her action. She dinosaur. He just yeah. kissed her. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it just, it, and it devolves completely. It keeps going and going until her hormones are raging, raging and she just wants to have a baby with Chris Pratt. That's the end of the movie. Well, that's, that plays along with the trailer, though, doesn't it? You know, mm -hmm. where they're saying that there's only three things that they want. Uh, what is it? Uh, food. I don't know what Hunting. the third Hunting. And then, you know, a mate. Yeah. And I was re-watching Jurassic Park so that I could get some context. And to be honest, 
that's what they're playing up in. I want to know what Jason's thinking. That's what I want to know. He looks he looks either bored or annoyed. I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, that's a woman for you. Okay. No? Okay. Um, but we all having like occasionally my my computer for some reason you guys are turning into Mr. Roboto and it it's oh. uh, it might be your internet connection. Yeah. I, I have like a fabulous internet connection. I pay for a fabulous internet connection. Are you hardwired in? I'm not hard hardwired, no. It's wireless. Yeah. yeah. Wireless is always gonna have that. Yeah. Anyway, I thought you would appreciate that, Regina. That, I do. Um, I do. I, I'm not I'd like to be surprised. I, I just don't. I don't see yeah, that. That's not really. the first thing I see when I come out of a movie. It just it, no, it is. It, when I go in, yeah. I give them the benefit of the doubt. I let them play the characters. But I, I just was so insulted in the entire thing, and the fact that that I, you know, Mark said it earlier, or somebody, you know, Chris Pratt's in the movie. They don't. They, you know, it's disappointing. They don't use him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's. I, I don't know. This is a conversation for another time, but I would love to hear your perspective on the Mad Max movie if you haven't, if you've seen it. I love Mad Max. The new one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fantastic, and I don't think it's a feminist movie. I don't think so either. And we I think also, it's a, <clears throat> we should also point out that it was uh, that it was talked about last last month. Yeah, we when talked we about that in the May Hangout. Yeah, well, I didn't think it was a human movie. It was completely human, and I think it was a great. It was a perfect introduction for Mad Max. Um, you hate the idea that it really is a prequel because the movie is about Mad Max. It's called Mad Max. Whether Charlize Theron shows up again or not, or she has a spinoff, that's fine. But I think from now on, you've got a great Mad Max character, Mad actor, and I want to see his story. Yeah. And I don't want to go off too much on a tangent, but you were talking about CGI for Jurassic World, and the one thing that I've actually been kind of really put off by movies is now they just saturate movies with CGI, and with with a few exceptions, there were far more practical effects in Mad Max, and that was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's been written about a lot and talked about a lot, that they were sort of going back to that. Beautiful film. Just yeah. beautiful. I still haven't seen it. It's on my... It's It's going to be this <sighs> month's movie, I know. I know. I wanted to see it too, but my wife and I both got sick right after. Yeah. Go somewhere with a good sound system and have them crank it up because it's fun. Fantastic. Well, what are those little? What are the little um, rubber dolls? The little miniatures that they're selling? The pop figures. Yeah, the one that Mark showed off last time. Um, Yeah, they got a Charlie Theron one now. Nice from Mad Max. That's awesome. They they really hit a nerve with those little. They're everywhere for everything now. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of geeky things, we can move into show and tell now. Uh, so Mike and Jason have a cool show and tell. We'll save that for oh, last. Yeah. Um, but let's have uh, Mark. Why don't we start with your show and tell for for today's show? Okay. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. It's very cool. Hopefully you can see them. All right. Um, here we go. <laughs> that would be the all the Avengers, um, the original um, lineup of Avengers in Lego. Um, <laughs> and on the far left there actually is uh, um, Nick Fury and Coulson. Um, 
I wasn't going to put them on there, but the, the wife yelled at me because she specifically <laughs> went out and found those for me. So <laughs> that would be the uh, all the Lego Avengers. Um, I also have uh, Scarlet Witch and uh, Vision as well, but I, w I just want to do the... Nice. Do you mind going ahead and identifying them all for yeah. our viewers? Sure. Um, so from my right side, we have... Um, uh, Black Widow on the far right, then to her left is Iron Man. Um, in the background there is obviously the Hulk. In front of the Hulk on the right is Captain America. And uh, to the uh, left of Captain America is Thor. And finally there we have Hawkeye. And then to Hawkeye's left we have Coulson and then uh, Fury. Nice. That's super cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the wife and I have been Lego maniacs as of late. Cool. I'm actually going to write an article about it for uh, the website. So. Oh, good. Nice. Yeah. That'll be up this Friday. So. Cool. Uh, Rhonda, what do you have for us? Um, well, the obvious thing, my hat. <laughs> um, the the thing about my hat is that um, I, I don't know whether I told the story before or not, but we we had some. Um, logo stuff on Cafe Press and um, Cafe Press's stuff is either really wretched or it's really good. I took yeah. down a whole lot of things out of our shop. It was never consistent. It was like sometimes you would order and it would be like the best quality and the next time you'd be like, oh, this is... Yeah. Bad. I took down all of the white yeah. anything. Mm -hmm. um, if you order the black t-shirts, they're fine. Yeah, um, the black hoodies are fine too. Yeah. I ordered a cap with our logo on it. It was horrible. I mean, it was just horrible. Yep. And they said, well, you can order a new one or do whatever you want. And I was like, I'm not ordering another one. And they said, well, just keep it. So I ripped it off, and I started looking for patches. And I've got a whole stack, but I sewed this in seven on. Well, the cool thing about it is that the people who know what it is will stop dead in their tracks and say something. So we were shopping today, and we're walking across the parking lot, and there was this guy riding a bike. He's zooming through the <laughs> <laughs> he's zooming through the parking lot, and he slams on his brakes. He goes, "I like your hat," <laughs> <laughs> and you know exactly. He either knows what it is or he doesn't. He's like, "Yeah, thank you very much. I know what you're talking about." Yeah, that's and so cool. To affirm that. I have no idea what you guys are talking about with the hat. <laughs> it's um, the insignia from uh, Mass Effect. It is the uh, military symbol for um, Shepard, the Marine military symbol for Special Forces, uh, the highest ranking in Special Forces, the Systems Alliance military. Mass Effect video game. Yeah. I knew Mass Effect. That's about all I knew about it. I didn't know it was a rank insignia. So I said, blah, 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 Mass Effect, blah, 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 blah. Okay. <laughs> what, what in the game does the N7 stand for? Like neurons. The N7 stuff? is the Marine insignia for Special Forces, and the seven is the highest ranking right. that the Special Forces can get in the Marines. Cool. Yeah. Cool. That's mine. What do you got, Regina? I decided to show um, the crowning glory of my Wonder Woman collection today. Oh, you bring it up. I thought I had seen that before. You missed it. You have something new? Is it the mixer? 
that would be okay. No. Oh my god. You're gonna have uh, to talk, Regina. Okay, there you go. Oh yeah. So uh, oh yeah, I have to talk. Sorry. Yes, I have to make noise. So this is the the Wonder Woman cookie jar. And where did you attain this treasure? Uh, this was a gift for my 30th birthday. Oh. From a good friend of mine. Um, and it was actually part of what inspired me to uh, go back to school and get my PhD. Um, I was actually going to write about women heroes. Uh, so uh, this was, I was looking at it, because I've never used it as a cookie jar. It's always been, you know, more like a, it's really dusty, wow. Um, it's been up on my, um, it sits in my office and sort of looks over me and protects me as I write or whatever else I might be doing. Uh, so I was looking at it one day and I was like, that's really interesting that like Wonder Woman and Superman are, you know, the American flag colors and, you know, notations. I wonder where that comes from and I wonder what kind of history our female heroes have, and that was my first idea and the first topic that I was going to research for the dissertations I've talked about many times on the show. So that was, it was this bust that I was looking at, and I love, I love the look on her face here, and I love the, the detail in the cookie mm -hmm. jar, and I can't ever imagine having to actually, like, put cookies in it, because I'm like, I wouldn't want crumbs and Wonder Woman, but <laughs> there she is, so that's, that's, that's her. If you're into baking, have you seen the KitchenAid mixer that has the Wonder Woman colors and logo? I've seen, seen it? it, yes. I already Is have a KitchenAid, but... <laughs> Brazil or something like that. I tried getting one and it was awful. Yeah, yeah. There, there's that. There's a couple of other things that I'd really like to have for it, but um, but yeah, so that's the, that's the one that like marks sort of... that all of my collection sort of focuses around the cookie jar, so... Wow. So going, going back to what you were saying about writing there, Regina, I'm going to throw you under the bus now. Oh, are you? <laughs> yeah, because uh, there's an article series that you've been talking about writing to me for, I don't know, like two months now. It hasn't been that long. <laughs> it sure feels that way. I bet it has. <laughs> so keep a weather eye on Game on Girls' site for Regina's uh, series coming up sometime in the future about yeah. uh, heroes, super Superheroes. Yeah, I did have a. I do. I do have a heroes series that I'm going to write. So I'll be writing that. What's the theme? You're What's I mean, besides superheroes, I mean, were you just going to write about particular heroes, or? I'm going to write about how superheroes and superhero stories are our new fairy tales. Oh, okay. Cool. So, yeah, and talk about how fairy tales and fairy tale themes are seen in our, the retelling, the new tellings of our. Our superhero stories. So, part, well, the research part of the for that will be fun. Yes, the research for that will be fun. Part of the delay in writing it is actually because I, I think I want to start with Daredevil, and I need to finish watching it. I've only I'm only through three episodes of it. So, how can you only be through three episodes? Because I have a young child. <laughs> yeah, but you could watch it in like one night while it sleeps. Yeah. I love the way you said it. <laughs> Her binge foo is weak as of late. It is. It is. I don't. I, I get maybe an hour a night before I crash. So, um, But I am on vacation. Like, I don't have to teach this week for anybody. And that's only two weeks a year that I don't teach. So this week and the week of Christmas are the only weeks in the year that I don't have any classes going on. So I will have more time to do to do stuff like binge watch Daredevil. And start an article series. And start an article series, yes. 
All that is. Dagger, she's shooting at me. <laughs> no, they're not. I, I, I do need to keep to it. That was my, my deal to myself was that I was working on one personal writing project and one professional writing project, and the series for the site is supposed to be the, the professional one, so I do need to, I need, I need, and sometimes I need, I am pressure prompted, remember? We talked about mm -hmm. being pressure prompted. Yeah, so that's, so. that's a good, that's a good. I just helped you. Yes, you did. <laughs> Go me. Oh, so no, without Micah. Yes, yes, exactly. So without further ado, let's hear from Micah and Jason about oh, your show and tell. Jason, I, I'm I'm the peanut gallery in this project. All right, that's all right. All right, uh, I don't know how much time I have, so I'll, I'll try to make this as succinct as I can. So I'm going to turn the camera. Okay. And lose us here for a minute. Okay. So, another thing I like need to mention. So the art that you're going to be seeing here, this is um, borrowed art from the artist who's going to be doing our cover art, but. Uh, okay, you. Hey, Jason. Yes. Jason, you're really muffled, so you're gonna have to hover yourself over the computer so we yeah, can. Yeah, so we can. Mic. Yeah, you're more in front of the the screen, so we can hear you. Uh, how's that? Is that better? Yes. Okay. Here we go. Okay. So yeah, the the art is uh, is an existing piece that we're borrowing from the artist, so I just want to put that out there. This is not gonna be our final art or anything. Okay. This person to use it so um, the game is called Shiny Mountain. Um, now, do we have any D and D nerds here? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so if if you're a D and D nerd, you know what a kobold is. The kind right. of fiery monster that uh, they worship dragons and such. So it plays off of that theme. So the theme of the game is there is a mountain called Shiny Mountain, and in the center of which there's a dragon, a mother dragon that all the kobold clans worship in the mountain, and of course, dragons need a horde to sleep on, so she has tasked the clans to build her a horde by mining the mountain for gold, and whichever clan uh, produces the most gold will not get eaten at the end of the game. So, it plays off the, uh, the, you know, the, the flattery nature of the kobolds, and it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, and it's supposed to be goofy. Um, the way the game works is uh, we have these tiles, and these, this is an early beta, so uh, they're still pretty rough, just by hand. But each tile will have um, an area where it's kind of where you can mine this kind of hexagonal shape, you know. And the left of the tiles, you'll see. In this case, I'll hold it up. You can see uh, like one tile goes right underneath the point where you mine. So when you when you put these together, they may or may not. You may or may not be able to get to a node from another node depending on the path that you take. Uh, and actually, the game is going to start face down, and as you explore out from your lair, you flip them over and kind of build organically towards the dragon's lair. Oh, that's cool. Cool. Yeah, it is. And I imagine the pieces are like you, you can have many uh, groupings of them, so the board will be different. Yes, yes. yeah, it's, it'll be random every game. Yeah. Uh, and you won't know how, uh, how it's going to get. Uh, Later until you get there. Right now we're just using some of the Reaper Bones miniatures of the Kobolds. We've, we've painted them. There you go. We've painted them by uh, color of the clans. So there's six clans: white, black, red, green, blue, and gold. And uh, each one will have a starting layer. You can see that around there. And then you'll keep track of your guys with these cards that we've put together. Uh, and they're pretty basic, and you can see they have some slots right here. I'll explain what those are for a minute. Uh, so as you go out into the dragon's lair and you're revealing tiles, when you land on a node, you roll some dice here that we have, and they determine what's in the node. So you probably can't really see them too In this case, if you landed on this node, you would find two iron and two gold. 
So that's what's mining in that node. Nice. So this guy goes and pops those down there. Uh, and on your turn, you can set him to work. Um, we, right now, you can either uh, flip over the card and show that it's exhausted, or you can tap it like you do in Magic. Uh, and then use it again. What's that? And then use it again when you tap it. Uh, well, you, yeah, you can keep him locked down, and as long as he's on a node, every turn he will automatically move one of those to his card. Oh. And then um, these, are, these aren't really tagged. They're supposed to have a number on so you know which is which, but we've kind of got a visual shorthand. The guy that's got one spear is the number one card because it was number one right there. You need to know which guy's in which place. And then either when he's full or whenever you decide to stop working, you take everything you've got and you can bring it to one of two places. If you bring it to the lair, you drop it off. Um, and when you have uh, iron in your lair, you can make items. That help you out. Uh, when you have gold in your lair, it doesn't do a whole lot. It's basically just a safe place to cache it until you decide to move it to the dragon's lair. Uh, the object of the game is to score the most points, most gold in the dragon's lair. The dragon doesn't want your crappy iron, um, so don't bring that to her. But when you get to the lair, you can build various items that help you out. So one of the things you can build, you can build a mining cart, which has additional slots on it for moving things to the lair. And what the card does, when you build it, this card goes into your hand. And any time you can discard it and move. Jason, you're behind your microphone. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. So with this card, uh, the, you can discard the mining card, and you can move up to six uh, gold or gems from wherever you're at to the dragon's lair. So it's an instant score mechanism instead of having to walk it in there that's not as efficient. That's what the cart does. You can wheel some stuff into the dragon's lair. You get other items like um, the rock bender, the shaman staff. It costs uh, two iron and a gem. And if you get it, you can rotate a tile on the board to change the position to make a path. You get a path. You can also, ah, nice. You can also, if you want, you can place a new tile down. That might be better for you. You can put it in any orientation. Um, Maybe that's an overall Yeah, so you get the idea of how it works. You can basically build a path to the Dragon's Lair and you're trying to uh, mine as much stuff as you can. And you can get in other people's space and start mining their nose if they leave stuff behind. We've got cards that allow you to uh, uh, go up and like harass the uh, other guys and take their stuff, uh, other players. And, uh, so we have, for the, the turn win mechanic that you develop is whenever you score, we have an event deck. And for every Every point that you score, you're going to reveal off the top of this event deck, and they'll have special effects. So some of these different events are like um, the Rust Monster Infestation, which will target a player and get rid of one of the cards they have in their hand, or an iron that they have in their lair. But at the bottom of the deck is we have, you've woken the dragon up. So once you wake the dragon up the first time, everybody gets a free item that's going to kind of help them in this next phase. It gets shuffled back in, and depending on whether you want to play a short game or a long game, uh, it gets shuffled back in, and either you go for either two more times when you wake the dragon or one more. But the second time you wake the dragon up, she's woken up. She's, she's wide awake, she's had her coffee, and she's going to start counting the gold up and see who brought it. So yeah, you never quite know when, once the, once the event deck is shuffled once, you don't never quite know when it's gonna end. Can't hear you, Jason. Yeah. All right. Jason. How about that? Yeah. Yes. Second time, you never really 
they'll know when the game's going to end. And it's funny because in all of our playtests, the game completely changes from let's plot around and find a bunch of gold to oh my gosh, I need to go right now because that event could happen at any point. And then it just kind of accelerates because everyone's throwing, you know, five, six gold in at a time trying to make that dragon event happen while they're in the lead. So, yeah. where cool. is it? So, yeah, it's a cool game. Yeah, that's, it does. We're still doing some. So, is this a Kickstarter or how are you guys getting funded? How are you how are you proceeding in the process? We're not quite to that stage yet. Um, we've weighed the option of doing the Kickstarter versus trying to shop it around, and um, my I'm leaning more towards the Kickstarter, but uh, we're still pretty early on. Uh, I want to get some more professional uh, tiles made. Um, Obviously, I can't use these Reaper figurines, so we're going to have to do a 3D model uh, of our own uh, and things like that. So, we're, like I said, we're pretty early on, but we're uh, we're now in the actual playtest phase. We're about to go to the blind playtest phase where we just hand them a rule book and say, figure it out. And hopefully, it's coherent English and they know what's going on. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the moment in a nutshell. Awesome. Where are you doing your um, your game testing? Um, currently, we're just doing it in some local... Uh, game shops in Vancouver and Portland. So we haven't brought it to Guardian yet, but I've already I've been in discussion with uh, one of the guys at Guardian Games, and he wants me to bring it down when I feel comfortable with it. So I'm going to have to take Jason, it. hang on a second. Why don't you guys turn your computer around yeah. and set back up because we can't hear anything you're saying. Yeah. Let's get back over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. far too important information for us not to be able yeah. to be saying it. Yeah. So we, we've talked to some guys at Guardian Games, and when we're comfortable with it, we'll bring it down. And my goal is to have a, a good-looking prototype to take the packs this year. Oh, nice. Cool, though. Awesome. That's yeah. very exciting. Yeah, packs will be a great place for for running it and checking it out. Mm -hmm. Who's There's doing your artwork? Uh, the cover art's a guy named Darren Calvert. He's done a lot of uh, different cold pieces. I kind of found him on the Internet by accident, and I'm like, wow, this is the guy I want. And uh, I'm in uh, communication with him, and he says, well, I'm taking the summer off, but in fall um, I'll do some commissions and he'll, he'll be ready for it. And he gave me permission to use the piece. So. Cool. Congratulations. Like a lot of fun, yeah. That takes a lot of uh, commitment and time to think through the rules of the game and, and take the concept to even to a prototype stage. So kudos to you. How long uh, have you been working on it? Uh, well, I, I'll say it's probably been about a year, but that there have been huge gaps where I didn't even think about it. So if you if you put it all together, maybe three or four months. Uh, and then this is like the fourth or fifth iteration of the rules. And mm -hmm. I tried a whole That's bunch impressive. of things. That is really impressive, actually. I have, I have a friend who, uh, he and his daughter uh, designed a game called the Potions Game um, because... They were so disappointed with all the Harry Potter games that came out with the books and the movies. They designed their own, cool. and I think that they're they've been working on it on and off, you know, for well, I think I learned about it at least three years ago, um, and it's gone through. Sure. Well, yeah. I went to a board game convention in Portland, and there was a lot of people that uh, were designing their own games, and were we were all kind of had the same complaints where there's so much retreading old territory and mm -hmm. trapping everything you've thought of and going back to the drawing board. It's it's a painful process, but it's also rewarding, too. My biggest problem is I get easily distracted. I'm like, well, you know what would be another good idea for a game? Right. Somebody like, shut up and work on the one you've already got. So. That's how I am with writing. Yeah. 
oh, wait, <laughs> look, there's something shiny over there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I understand. Well, very cool. Well, let us know how you progress. Do you have a website or anything for it yet? Or? Not yet, but okay. uh, I'm about to start delving into that. So okay, soon. cool. Well, let us know because um, we can we can get you up on the site and maybe get some traffic driven to it when you get it going. That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Sure. All right. I'm. Hold on. Sorry, I lost my. I had to change things around here. Um, where are, are we? we? All right. Books? We're going to talk about books now. Yes. Books. That's that's my my graceful segue. <laughs> and it was well done. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to talk about what we've been reading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yay, do the dance. Um, I'm actually reading a book. Yay! How is that a shock? How is that a shock? Because for like the last year and a half, I haven't read a book, a single book. I read one book really? last year. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. Well, for pleasure, I haven't. I haven't read for pleasure. Yeah. I read for for work and for other you know topics. But in terms of like indulgent, just reading to read and enjoy myself, I haven't done that. So I'm finally reading again, um, which feels great. Um, and so I'm reading a young adult fiction book called um, Girl on a Wire. And the author is Gwenda Bond. And I'm reading it essentially because I got it free on my Kindle. <laughs> Which is always a good motivation. But it's turning out to be kind of enjoyable. It's um, it's a story about um, a girl, a high-wire walker, um, who sort of manipulates her family into rejoining the circus after they have been ostracized from it for all of her life, essentially, and she's an you know, early teenager. Um, and so there's some kind of, like, iffy, kind of questionable magic stuff going on and some, you know, things happening, um, that tarot card readings and some, some kind of that stuff mixed in. And it's been, it's kind of lighthearted. It's a little on the predictable side for me. You can kind of see where the, where the story's going, but it's a fun sort of light read. So that's where I'm at. Reading. What about you, Mark? What are you up to? Oh, well, any other time that you guys would ask me this question, I would say that I haven't really been reading much of anything, but I've uh, just got over being sick, and at the same time, my new system I built was uh, on the fritz, so I was having to troubleshoot that while I was sick simultaneously, and I didn't really want to play games. So um, it all worked out, though, because my mother sent me um, the entire Iron Druid series by Kevin Hearn, and my wife bought me the uh, latest Clive Barker book, uh, The Scarlet Gospels. So I read all of those in about a week. <laughs> um, basically a book a day. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Hearn's hard to put down. Yeah, that is a really, really good series. Um, but what I wanted to talk about was The Scarlet Gospels, uh, since we kind of mentioned it on the last show. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think uh, that anybody who's a, who, who's a fan of um, like any of uh, Clive Barker stuff where Harry Damore shows up or any of the Hellraiser stuff, it's a good mashup. Um, it blends well. Um, my only complaint about it was is going back, this, this book was in the works for several years, and as I understand it, um, when he finished the first draft, there was literally 250,000 words in it, and the editor came back and told him to pare it down to 100,000. And I think a lot of what got clipped out of that, because 
was the stuff that he had talked about doing many years ago, which was this was going to be Pinhead's story, and it was going to kind of talk about him and where he sat in the hierarchy of hell, and you get a little taste of that, but um, in the end it becomes more a, a story about Harry Damore going into hell to uh, rescue a friend and that, that's been taken, taken by Pinhead. But uh, it, it's still a good story. Um, I enjoyed it. I read it probably in about a day, day and a half. Cool. So, yeah. If you like Clive Barker and you like any of uh, his Harry Damore stuff or Hellraiser stuff, then check it out. Uh, I, just want to, oh, go ahead. I just want to interject really quickly. We have three people watching right now. Woo! We're up like 200% from last month. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Only one person watching last month, so three people watching. Thank you. Um, and I'd just like to give a shout-out because I know one of those three people is one of my best friends, Julie, and it is her birthday today. Happy so. birthday, Julie. Oh, happy birthday, Julie. Happy birthday, Julie. So happy birthday. Thanks for watching. <laughs> and now Jason and Micah, do you guys have any any books you're reading right now? Uh, well, I committed myself to something that's going to take forever. I picked up The Count of Monte Cristo. So wow. I'll see you in a couple of years at the, at the rate I read. No kidding. Before that, I read um, the Bobby Dollar Trilogy by Tad Williams last year, which was really good. It's about a uh, kind of a streetwise angel who uh, acts as a, um, I forget what they call him, but basically when somebody dies on Earth, he goes and meets their soul and he advocates on their behalf. And oh. then the internal prosecutor will also come and try to drag him down. And uh, then uh, some guy dies and his soul's just not there. And that kicks off a whole mystery, like, why is his soul not here? <laughs> what did you do with it? Well, we didn't do anything and nobody knows where it went or what happened. And uh, it just kicks off a whole interesting... What's cool. the title again? Um, the, it's the Bobby Dollar Trilogy. The first book is called The Dirty Streets of Heaven by Tad Williams. And then the second one is Happy Hour, Happy Hour in Hell. And the third one is Sleeping Late on Judgment Day. I love those titles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds really cool. He's one of my and favorite. The, the author's name again? Tad Williams. Cool. What about you, Micah? As a, as a new graduate, Micah, are you reading... I have been anxiously waiting for five years to be able to read for pleasure. And uh, so the last, I don't know, ever since May 16th when I graduated, I've been anxiously awaiting a time when I can actually go get books. And I just can't find anything really to pick up and read right now. And all of my authors that I'm reading, um, that they don't have anything coming out right now. So I'm, I'm pretty much waiting for Brandon Sanderson's next novel. And uh, when that comes out, uh, I'll be reading that for sure. Cool. Have you read any Christopher Moore? Did I? Did you see uh, that post? Yeah, we talked about that on Facebook, yeah. and he's one. He's one I'm gonna pick up and okay. kind of uh, to bide my time until this Brandon Sanderson novel comes out. He's yeah, definitely he, well worth it. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is good. He is good reading. It's fun. It's it's lighthearted, um, and he has a lot of crossover of characters between his. Yeah. Um, stories, which, and he just weaves them really beautifully. Because um, they're not, like, it's not an interconnected story. It's just like all of a sudden these characters will kind of be there from another novel. So. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's like, uh, kind of like the Avengers, you know, the, yeah. the integrative world there. They've got everything yeah. in this place. Yeah, it's pretty fun. What do you, so. what do you like reading, Micah? Um, mostly I like reading science fiction and fantasy. Um, but yeah, I think my favorites are, are going to be Brandon Sanderson, Neil Gaiman, um, you know, that kind of genre. Less oh. on 
the science side, more on the fantasy side. Awesome. Cool. Excellent. All right. So uh, now let's talk about a little bit about what we're watching. So what oh, can, you I, can in... I talk about my book? Oh, I'm sorry, Rhonda. Oh, God. Poor Rhonda. Wow. You're going to leave the co-host out. That's, yeah. that's... Of all people. Right. I want to hear what you have to say, Rhonda. I Thank do too. Mark. He always does. Um, well, th I oh, come I across this by accident. It's called the Tippling Neurogens, and it is nonfiction. And it's basically uh, covering the history of the development of our knowledge about the brain. And it's basing it on um, telling stories about the, the great and weird scientists who have studied the brain and the patients, of course, that they um, that were in their care when they came up with these things. And of course, all of the cases are anomalies. Um, most of the uh, all of the cases that at least they want to talk about in this book are um, oddities that triggered the curiosity and the passion of these scientists and medical professionals that caused them to want to figure out what the brain was doing to make this happen. And it's very, very interesting, um, but it makes me freaky scared of my own head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just freaky scared at what my brain is doing. Um, there was the most recent chapter I read, I don't want to give away too much, this one is, it because it goes chronologically, and it's a, absolutely amazing what um, 17th century scientists were discovering about the brain. It just, it, it, it's amazing. But most recently I was reading about some ex, uh, experiments they were doing to try to figure out um, responses and they go through different phases of the brain, you know, the conscious, the unconscious, the physical, the motor skills, and different things like that. And this one, they had people all they all the all the the guinea pigs had to do was sit and stare at a clock and decide at what point they wanted to move their finger. And whenever they wanted to, didn't matter when, they could move their finger, but they just needed to note the time on the clock. And without fail, this experiment is done over and over and over again. Without fail, the brain triggers the decision before the person decides. They say, well, at one minute, I decided to move my finger. The brain makes that decision before the person thinks they make the decision. <laughs> and that just freaks me the uh, that just freaks me out. <laughs> and what they're doing is they're they're branching into the idea of free will and the conscious and subconscious and all that bunch of stuff. But all right. those stories are just really cool. They talk about the uh, the development and understanding of phantom limbs and uh, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, um, hmm. interesting uh, epilepsy, and what the brain is doing. Um, it's fascinating that when they were studying phantom limbs, which used to be a taboo subject, the people who th were missing a hand or a leg and said, you know, my foot is itching, they thought they were off the rocker. 
And luckily, one scientist came along and said, there's something going on here. Um, and they had already figured out that the mapping in the brain, the areas that control um, things for the face, are mapped right next to the things that are mapped for the hand. And people who would get an itch on their cheek would suddenly feel like that their hand was gripped. And that's because the areas are mapped next to each other. Oh, so they like run into each other. Well, the, and not only that, but whenever they lose their hand, that area of the map blacks out. And so the face map takes over. They're like, oh, there's some neurons over there that's not being used. We'll take those. Oh. But they never completely lose the hand mapping. So he began oh. to notice that there was a connection between you know, an itchy nose, and then all of a sudden this guy says, I just can't unclench my fist. It's like, dude, you don't have a hand. Right. But <laughs> it was associated with, and interestingly enough, the foot is uh, mapped uh, next to the crotch area on the brain. <laughs> yes. It's an interesting chapter. Humans are strange. It is wild. It is absolutely wild. I think, I think, Rhonda, this is one of the first times I've ever heard you talk about nonfiction, reading nonfiction. I go through phases, and um, I kind of was getting burned out on the fiction because I wasn't quite finding anything I wanted to land on. Yeah. Remember, Mark, we talked about it last time I wanted to do yeah. horror, and I was having trouble finding something. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I go through phases. Interesting. Yeah. What, what was the name of the book again? The Tale of the Dueling Neurosurgeons, and the author I had up here is Sam Keen. Cool. And it's a long book. It's it's not a short book. I'll look up and he'll say 50% done. I was like, I was 50% done yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> that that was my problem when I downloaded um, the songs Fire and Ice. Yeah. <laughs> as one file for four books on my Kindle. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. one, I'm through one book, and I'm 6% of the way through. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> not very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right, I'm going to let Rhonda segue us now. Oh, yeah, we're going now from <laughs> books to television. Now that everybody's had a chance to talk. <laughs> yeah, how are we doing on time? Christina? We're good. We're at 3 o'clock, uh, so 3 o'clock Pacific, so we usually go to about 3.30, so we're, we've got plenty of time. Awesome. Um, Mike and Jason, usually we just talk about um, a show, especially that we've been watching a lot of, or we've been binge-watching, or that we've gone back to watch again. Um, for me this week, it was the release of Wayward Pines. I think Regina has got Game of Thrones and iZombie. She wants to mention something about. Mark doesn't isn't watching anything. Uh, <laughs> That's not true. I said I was watching rewatching oh, yeah. uh, Sherlock. That's yeah. right. That's right. And did you start from the beginning? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I started, uh, I watched uh, the first episode the uh, night before last and watched the second one last night, and I'll watch the uh, third one again tonight. Now, you're talking oh. about the version, right? I'm sorry, what was that? You're talking about the BBC version, right? Oh, yeah, I don't I don't talk about American TV, if I can help it. <laughs> oh, okay. Man. So, well, okay, that answers my question, then. Where, where are you watching it, Mark? On Netflix. And season three's on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah, season three is. Not only is it season three, but they also have, like, uh, I think 
two or three episodes of kind of behind-the-scenes stuff on there as well for that season. Oh, yeah, we've got to go out there and watch that, because I think we've only seen two seasons. Oh, yeah, you got to watch the third season. Yeah, I'm only part of the way through the third season. I think I'm on the second episode of the third season. I can't remember. Okay, so um, season one, they um, Dr. Watson and Sherlock got together, and at the very end of it, they met Moriarty. Right. In season two, what was season two? Season the, two is basically the the direct confrontation with Moriarty. With Moriarty, right? They're fighting Mori Moriarty in season two. Okay, yes. so I think I have seen all three seasons then. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, because I can't say anything well, more than that. Sherlock and Elementary. I'm sorry. What was the question? Do Do either any of you watch both Sherlock and Elementary? I've seen a little bit of elementary in passing when my wife's watching TV, but I'm not really impressed with it, so. Okay. <laughs> and why were you asking? Yeah. I was just curious. I, I mean, they're both kind of talking about the same character. They're both going on at the same time. And I'm wondering, you know, what what are people's thoughts about between the two series? Because um, I, I watch elementary, and I actually really like, um, God, what's her name? Lucy Liu. Lucy Liu as Dr. Watson. I think she's great in there. And uh, I don't know. I, I've actually been really impressed with Elementary as a, a Sherlock Holmes telling. They yeah. definitely have two very good actors for that for that episode. And I'm not a big Lucy Liu fan, but um, yeah. that was well done. That was well cast. Yeah, I, I, I think part of my problem with Elementary is, is I'm watching it through the lens of having watched Sherlock and for my money, it doesn't get any better than Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. So, <laughs> yeah, and and referring back to Christopher Lee too, he did some Sherlock Holmes stuff. So look mm -hmm. that up too. Yeah, uh, yeah. As Sherlock and as Moriarty, uh, I think. So Regina, what did you want to talk about? Um, Game of Thrones. Oh, I didn't. You know, I don't have a whole like like. Thing I want to talk about. Hold on, I'm trying to add in. We have another new writer for the site. I'm trying to add him in, but I'm having trouble getting his email address okay. here. Well, we'll um, let um, Micah and Jason talk then. Okay. You guys, watching anything? Watching. Uh, well, so I recently completed a bucket list slash life goal in that uh, I collected the entirety of Mystery Science Theater on DVD, at least what they've released. So, oh wow. So I've been watching those in chronological order, or at least as the boxes released them. So been cracking okay, up. I totally missed that because it, the internet went burp. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, been watching Mystery Science Theater. Oh, cool. I've collected all the box sets for that, all the ones they've released, and just watching them in order. Uh, and so, you know, cracking out on Tom Servo and, and Crow and Mike Angel. So that's been fun. Uh, and then... I've also, uh, a friend of mine turned me on to a Dutch reality show, and I usually am not into reality shows, but it's called V is the Mole, and the concept behind it is there's uh, ten contestants who are completing challenges uh, and we're trying to work together, but there's one person among them who's trying to sabotage it, and he's the mole, and nobody knows who that is. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, so secretly that person is trying to keep money out of the pot, without being discovered. And then at the end of every episode, uh, all the people in the game are quizzed on who they think it is, and the person who has the most wrong answers gets booted out. Oh. Uh, Where are you watching that? 
That's on YouTube, uh, and they have uh, English subtitles for it, and it's just it's a lot of fun to watch. What is it? V. W I yeah I'll type it. Yeah. That's really interesting. The just the concept, you know, because reality TV sort of has this, you know, thing that it does here in the states. But it's interesting to think of. Uh, the different way they're they're dealing with booting people off, where it's like, oh, you got so many wrong answers, so you go off. I like that. <laughs> well, it actually sounds like more of a game. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it takes a little critical thinking as opposed to like who's who's saying the worst things about people, so we keep them on the longest, which is pretty much what happens on other yeah. reality shows. And it sounds they, like who. It right. does sound like who. <laughs> Sounds like coup, or uh, there's also resistance. Uh, resistance. resistance yeah. Or, um, we also found there's a, a bigger game from the Netherlands that's really big Werewolf. over there. Werewolf. Werewolf in Noah's Hollow, which is it's it's funny. They actually played that game on the show too at one point, and nice. somebody was the werewolf, and they, they don't tell you who the mole is even as the audience, so you have oh, to guess sweet. too. That makes oh, sense. that's nice. So it keeps it for you, so you're not the the in the know audience yeah. member. Yep. Cool. Well, what we about you, Micah? Oh, go ahead, Regina. Uh, I was just going to say really quickly, we had we had um, another new writer for, for the site join us, uh, Sean. I'm not sure if his microphone is working yet. It is. How uh, is, it is everyone hey. doing? Hey, welcome, welcome. Thank you very much. We're talking uh, TV shows right now, so um, we'll let Micah go with what he's been watching, and then we'll swing around to you. Okay. All right. When I watch TV, I, I, uh, I binge watch Religiously, so I've uh, been binge watching season two of Agents of Shield. It just released on uh, Netflix. Um, Silicon Valley on HBO. Oh God, I love that show. <laughs> I mean, really, which one to talk about? They're the completely different shows, all of them. But uh, yeah, I think I, I could really say Silicon Valley is what I've been binge watching the most. The other shows are fillers until tonight, when the next episode releases. Well, tell tell about Silicon Valley because I think I've seen an ad for it, a, a magazine ad, but that's it. Well, Silicon Valley is about these guys that work for an Apple-esque corporation, and they hate it there because it's Apple and the corporate life. And they also live in a house where there's this total pothead that he calls it his incubator, where he's he's got all these programmers coming in developing apps. And he gets 10% of whatever they develop in his home. They get room and board there. And so one guy is developing this horrible, horrible app for music um, called Pied Piper, but stumbles upon an algorithm that allows him to compress any kind of data into really small amounts. So it makes it better for transmitting. And the whole series is just about this completely social awkward. I was trying to explain it to somebody. It's almost like Big Bang Theory meets, um, I don't know, Hackers meets, uh, help me out, Regina. Give, give, what are some shows that this thing is kind of like? Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't even know. I don't know if I have any parallels. It's It's got a little... Got a little sex in the city thing going on because it's like these bumbling, socially inept guys. Office space? A little office space, yeah. yeah. Office space? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a fun show. It's on HBO. Highly recommend cool. it. Yeah, it's I, I love it because I grew I grew up not far from that area and it's it just rings a lot of truth. <laughs> cool. 
for me and people that I that I've known and and the tech industry that I've kind of worked in and uh, you know pra- parallels to my teaching career. So. I mean, yeah. the characters are all just so completely different. They are, yeah, they are. It's it's good. It's good writing. It's, really. Uh, it's well executed both in in um, the the characterizations and they they actually had in the first season. I don't know if you know this, Micah, but the first season, the like main guy that they're trying to like get the funding through, that actor actually died. Yeah. Like in the making of it, so they had to like completely like change the script and you know change mm-hmm. the show around or around that, which was really interesting to see how they kind of dealt with that. So it's pretty cool. It's good. Yeah. Well, Sean, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm Sean Blystone. I uh, graduated with a degree in English literature in 2011 from Washington State University in Vancouver. Um, oh. I've been a lifelong video game. Uh, aficionado, fan, uh, just uh, nut. Um, I, I love role-playing games and board games, and I am, uh, when it comes to the topic of TV, uh, I'm slowly making my way through the X-Files, finally. Oh. Which is, it's interesting. When I was, um, when I was a lot younger, when the X-Files was on TV, uh, I was a little bit... Um, sheltered growing up because I, I was homeschooled. My mom had kind of a tight grip on what I had access to. So for me, it actually, though I was probably old enough for it at the time, it was a bit much for me, and so I didn't watch it when it was on TV. But my wife has gotten me into it recently. So I've started re-watching because I've seen bits and pieces of it here and there. But mm-hmm. that's uh, it's been really interesting to see it uh, chronologically instead of just a few random Monster of the Week episodes. Yeah, um, there's a lot. They did. They were one of the first shows to have that um, overarching mm-hmm. story that ran through the seasons. Definitely. Um, yeah. So, just kind of diving into season four right now. Um, I just saw the episode with the flashbacks of the cigarette smoking man, um, where he is outside the lone gunman's hideout and uh, you know potentially gonna shoot someone but it, it's it's a it's a really neat episode that gives you some uh, background on that character which up until that point has been just a mystery yeah it's really funny I can't remember um, the actor's name who plays the cigarette smoking man but uh, he was in an interview that I saw and when he went in for the part they were like oh well you just stand in the corner and smoke a cigarette and he's like damn why didn't I get like this the talking role because there was another guy who was you know behind the desk and talking and it ended up being a really boon for him that he didn't get the talking role because then he became the mysterious cigarette smoking man and you know had this great part through the whole series right and that I as I've heard that 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 was kind of on accident they didn't mm-hmm. really intend for him to be a major character when they introduced him exactly I've also heard that he had quit smoking several years yeah. ago yep. <laughs> as a result of the show was smoking yeah, uh, pretty regularly, at least on screen. So yeah, something like he said something along the lines of, um, "Oh, well, I hope X Files called again." He <laughs> 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 wanted to get his X Files fix. Yeah. Where did exactly. uh, Where are you watching it at? Um, I'm watching on Netflix right now. It's all available. Uh, so hopefully, I'll get all caught up. I actually I haven't checked any time recently. I know they are um, bringing another miniseries. Uh, to the screen here pretty yeah, soon, but I yeah. don't know when it's coming out. So, I think it's That's not. I mean, great. what was that? 
I was just gonna say that's a great summer binge. Yeah, oh. that is a great. Go summer back binge. to X Files. That's really yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I rewatched yeah. that a couple of years ago. Uh, it's a, it's a commitment too because it's what is it nine or ten series seasons? Um, I think it might be ten. I think it's ten. Yeah. So uh, it's a good. It gives you good. There's a lot to go. That's like Stargate. Uh, starting Stargate. Yeah. So nine. It looks like nine. Plus, nine. Uh, yeah. plus two movies, of course. So. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of it to get through, um, but cool. it's been pretty enjoyable so far. It holds up really well. There are a few campy episodes, but but I find that overall it's still. Uh, yeah, you see, you you see, it's hard because um it wasn't shot sort of with the camera technology that we have now, so exactly. some of the special effects look a little questionable, but for the most part they do hang together. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sean, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you um, do you have any idea of what type of articles you're going to be writing for the website? You know, I, I have been tossing around a few ideas, and, and one of the ones that I keep circling back around to is, as a male gamer, I've, I've noticed over the years, over many years, you know, we had our, we got our NES back in 87, I think, um, and I've noticed that female characters who are warriors or fighters of some sort will typically either be completely desexed or oversexed. And I'm interested in diving into that and seeing you've got, um, on one end of the spectrum, you've got a character like uh, Samus Aran from the Metroid series who when she's at her most powerful, runs around in a huge suit of armor that completely disguises her gender. And, and right, because really it was a big surprise that she was a girl. Right. So it was a female character at the end. And, and I even remember thinking when I was younger and I finally beat that game, I thought, oh, okay, it was a girl. And then some of my friends were commenting, can you believe it was a girl? And it, it didn't seem that crazy to me at the time. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe again, that's coming from the sheltered homeschool background where my mom had a lot of influence. But um, since you know that kind of opened the door to that that um, question throughout my whole life. You know, on the other end of the spectrum, we've got recent characters such as uh, Bayonetta, um, who are completely hypersexualized to the point where if you really, I mean, she's like a Barbie doll. If you really look at her, the she has mm -hmm. the most extreme proportions that are just completely alien. No human looks like that. Um, but she's also a tough, unstoppable fighter. So what I'm wondering is, why is it that we always see these two extremes and nothing in between? Mm. I mean, you've well, another example would be like a Brienne of Tarth, who is also just completely masculine. Look what they did with Samus, too. Now they have Zero Suit Samus, which is the exactly. complete end of the spectrum, yeah. yeah. Even the name itself is a little provocative. Zero Suit Samus. Yeah. Wasn't it uh, Mark? Mark, were you the one that wrote about Samus? I remember reading an article on Game on Girl about somebody. No, that was probably Jerry. Jerry, yeah. Jerry. Okay, Jerry. Yeah, Jerry's our... He he writes about NES 2. So, yeah. yeah. But that's cool. What about you, Micah? Do you know what um, direction you're going to go? Um... No, no, probably uh, board games, D and D, more kind of the gamer aspect. I, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I work best when I have assignments. Uh, that's why I pass Regina's classes. Um, you know. Yes, if not, if anybody hadn't guessed, the writers often come from students I've had. <laughs> oh, okay. Because no, I'm, I'm, 
I'm familiar with their writings <laughs> and may have molded them in some way. <laughs> yep. Not me. But now you're molding me now. I know, right? <laughs> well, that'll be good to get some uh, board gaming articles. Actually. I think so, too. I think that would really... I actually would love if... Um, Micah, it's a weekly group you do, right, on Friday nights? Yes, Friday nights, D&D. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. We do alternate sometimes. We do board games because as we were developing Shiny Mountain, we wanted to expose ourselves to a lot of rules. And so Jason would go out and buy all these games and then make us all play them. Good. It was, it was a, a horrible, most horrible year ever yeah, to play, you know, right. something like 50, 50 different games yeah. throughout the year. For you. And then he would incorporate these rules and kind of test things out, and we would tell him whether they were good rules or not, and, and then he would ignore us and develop what he wanted. Yeah. Well, there, there's an article right there Yeah. that you could talk about, but I would love to see you write about your Friday night D&D game and, you know, plan on it. tell us about it and, and how it evolves and how the characters evolve and that kind of stuff. I think that would be really interesting, and it's not something anybody's done on the site, so that would be really good. I've got I've got 15 years of uh, campaigns I could write about, and I also have the like, awesome. most awesome character ever right now that he would be great to talk about. He's cool. totally loves to talk about Sven, yes. He yeah, he's a hateful <laughs> bastard. Hateful. He's what? He's a hateful little bastard. Well, is there a, do you have a, um, a drawing of him? I don't. I have a stolen picture that I, I stole from the Internet and probably shouldn't reproduce... You know, as something like that. I don't, I'm not an artist. I don't. I don't draw, so I just steal art. That's funny. Cool. Yep. Excellent. Well, to close out, then my TV show is also what my article is about on Monday. Oh, yeah, so, that's right. I'm not going to say a whole lot about it. But anybody watch Wayward Pines? I was looking at it the other night, thinking I might need to watch this. Mm, no. Oh. <laughs> really bad. It's really bad, and it's sad because it's got so much potential. Yeah, it would. It kind of looked to me a little bit like uh, Twin Peaks, Idaho, uh, or not Twin Peaks, Idaho. Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And uh, what was the writer's name? David. Uh, David. Lynch. David Lynch. Yeah, Lynch. Lynch. I, it was. It was looking very Lynch to me. So I was thinking I might have to watch it, but now I probably won't. <laughs> uh, watch the first episode, but that's okay. that's about it. Um, okay. The first episode was okay, and it actually made made you tilt your head and go, "Huh, that's interesting." Yeah. But they really devolve after that. The whole time, all you're doing is, "Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that?" And it just makes you really sad because you don't. the The great thing about it is you don't know what's going on. So it's very, very much um, like it reminds me a lot of Lost and Under the Dome. Oh yeah, okay. And you're trying to figure out what is going on, and that's a lot of fun. Except that the people keep doing really stupid stuff. Right. Um. So anyway. Whether you watch the show or not, my article on Monday is going to have a lot of spoilers in it because I've watched the four episodes out right now, and they've already answered uh, several questions 
um, if you believe the answers they gave you. But I've got, just got a take on um, how they could have done it better. But um, yeah, which is a really interesting, a really interesting take and a really, a really good direction to look at it from. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see it? Did you see what I've got? Yeah, yeah. I read it. I read it already. So. Oh, you did. I did. <laughs> I do that sometimes. Very flattering. Yeah. yeah. I don't <laughs> expect that anybody reads my stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, I always read your stuff. Oh, I had a comment you. to make on um, one of them, and I just hadn't gotten around to doing it yet. Actually, I might write. Well, of course, in my oh look, it's shiny. Let me write about it. Bag. <laughs> mm. I wanted to write a response to. I think it was your last week's piece or the week before. Not the lumberjanes, but the one you wrote. No. Before. Yeah. yeah. Well, about signs and signifiers about feminism and the words and what. Oh they yeah, well, words stuff. are meaning. Yes, yeah. yeah, that one. That one I wanted to write a response to, but that's in my bag of of things that I yeah. still need to get around to writing about. I'm going to throw one more show in um, oh, that yeah. I forgot about um, watching, which is surprising because I've watched the entire first season of it twice already, and it's only been out for a few weeks. And I don't know, has anybody watched Grace and Frankie? No, um, I watched part of the first episode. Yeah, on it's a new show on um, Netflix, and it's a Netflix original. And it stars Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. And they're superb. I mean, absolutely. I mean, they're, you know, they're great actresses in, you know, in their, in this, but they're just great in these, these, in the series. Um, it's got fantastic writing, but I think one of the things I love the most about it is it's one of the first things I've watched that has really, told a truthful story about a female friendship mm. and isn't afraid to make it look bad in order to, to tell it. Because um, there's a lot of, in any kind of friendship or bromance or, you know, kind of thing that goes on usually, you have a lot of um, celebration of friendships. And this is not one of those friendships. It's not a friendship that started out as, wow, we are great friends and we're so good together and we're da da and we're gal pals. Yay! It's not that. And I love that about it, and I love that it sort of focuses on female friendships later in life. And there's a lot of there's a lot of really just clever writing and discussions about things that that I really enjoyed. So I I just like to give that one a. If you want to watch a new a new series from Netflix, I think it's it definitely ranks up there as good TV. I'll have to finish watching that first episode then because I, I only got partway through it and it just felt very forced. But mm -hmm. I don't think that without finishing the first episode, that, that's, that's fair yet. So. Yeah, I think that first episode is one of the weakest of, of them. Um, okay. there's, there's a couple that I would point out to be, you know, really outstanding. Okay. Uh, and they have some outstanding casting in the supporting roles. Um, one of the daughters of um, uh, just Jane Fonda's character, um, she does a really great job. Um, yeah, they're just, and I've never seen her in anything else. And then I had a question, and I'll pose this question to you guys just really quickly off the cuff and see if you have anything. I, I, I'm finding myself very drawn to the series now that are coming out of alternate, you know, production houses like Netflix and Hulu and those original series. And I'm wondering what you guys think about that. Are you drawn to those as well? I, I am to a degree. Um, I watched the I think the first half of the first season of Orange is the New Black. Mm -hmm. um, and 
enjoyed it for the most part, although something set me off that I didn't really feel like watching it after a certain point. But um, And Daredevil, I really thought, was well done. I really enjoyed that. Um, anytime I see anything with a Netflix um, logo um, on the search screen, I at least stop and, and read the Look. description. I've, I've actually looked at that show that you were talking about, though it's not something that's typically in my wheelhouse. Yeah. But, but even so, because it has the Netflix logo on it, I'm more willing to stop and look and read it and see what it is. Interesting. Okay, so it's it's something that like makes you stop and consider it, even though it might not be a topic you'd be interested in. Exactly, because to me, um, our regular TV that we have shoveled out to us is, for the most part, crap. Yeah, so. that's part of that's part of what I was thinking. I was thinking about how the caliber of the stuff that's coming out of Netflix and Hulu. I think is is higher than than what is on regular broadcast TV. It's competition, and they it is. It. They, they do competition. Uh, the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh yeah, is a Netflix only fantastic comedy. It's just absolutely wonderful, and you're just not getting that kind of comedy on uh, network television. Yeah, not scripted. I mean, it's all you know. We mentioned a couple times disparaging comments about reality TV, and and there is that like. Oh, this is easy and cheap to make because you don't, you know, it can just be bad. Yeah. yeah. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, I think, was was slated to go network. And it was. They, they were like, they shelved the idea. It got picked up by Netflix. So, Brilliant. I have that was a mistake. I will say, I notice a lot on, on Netflix shows, it seems like they're much more plot driven rather than character driven, which helps yeah. the edge. Um, but I. I don't necessarily get drawn towards Netflix shows just because uh, I get drawn to the shows that end up getting canceled on network air. <laughs> that's what happens. They're good. Yeah, that's how I know. Like, Battle Creek totally just got canceled. I no! Think, I think that's something that, that's happened to all of us, though. That's why I don't look at network TV anymore, because yeah. I don't want to put up with it anymore. I'm sick of getting invested in a show, and then uh, you know, one season or two seasons in, nope, sorry, it's not cool enough. It's like... Firefly. Yeah. Uh, part of the problem Firefly, is that yeah. network shows, they have an expectation of what they consider to be an acceptable audience size, which is so much higher than, let's say, a Netflix viewership right. or a channel viewership, so that if they're not pulling in 4 million viewers a week, they're like, no, sorry, we got to can this. But that, that doesn't say anything about the quality of the show. Right. So, and, and, well, go ahead, Rhonda. Oh, no. I just oh. said no. Oh, I was I was gonna say um, the other the thing that's interesting about Netflix too is that the whole season comes out at once, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. which leads to you know the whole culture of binge watching now, and they're oh, capitalizing well, on that. No, there are some shows coming out on Netflix where they're releasing episodes weekly now. Oh, really? That has been something that, that has made me like, oh, okay, Netflix. I don't think that's a good idea. Let's let's. <laughs> Give me, give me now, yeah. Give me now. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I, I made this observation um, at the start of fall semester last year when one of the questions I asked my students, at, you know, in the icebreaker first class is what's, what's your favorite hobby, what are your hobbies? And I noticed that it, it had shifted from, like, watching TV to Netflix. Like, Netflix is its own hobby. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, this is fascinating to think that, like, this streaming service had, or, you know, this, you know, content provider service, because you can still get these foreign objects called DVDs from it as well, um, you know, 
the streaming service has become so iconic that it is like its own thing now. So. Well, I think the one thing that ups them for their quality is that everybody who's paying for net Netflix has already put their money forward. That's Whereas true. You're a, a network. You're you're banking on people coming in and watching those ads, mm -hmm. and if they don't pull it in, they're not making their money. Yeah. So. Um, it allows them to just, okay, here's the whole season. You've already basically paid for it. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the same with, uh, I think, just, I don't know if, if Hulu releases their, I think they release their episodes weekly. I'm not sure. Uh, well, a lot of them follow the broadcast, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Like, yeah, so yeah. Daily, weekly, whatever. Yeah. One cool. thing I think is really interesting about Netflix, too, is that they're, they're tending to latch on to, uh, shows with a strong fan base that were canceled, jumping off from that point of yeah. loving shows that have been canceled, they they brought back another season of Arrested Development. I've mm -hmm. been hearing a lot that they're um, potentially going to make a spinoff from Top Gear um, after the Jeremy Clarkson scandal. I've been reading about that a lot online. Um, and I think I heard that the newest season of Longmire is going to be coming directly to Netflix, potentially. Really? Yeah. Uh, that's oh. because... Yeah, so that it, it's, I mean, they're they're able to tap into these um, fan bases that are already established. Right. And, and they ought to know, pick that's going to bring on a bunch of new. Yeah, things. selfie would be good for them. I think there was, like, that was the petition was Netflix, pick yes. a selfie. The, yeah. I mean, there was a huge fan base that was begging them to bring selfie back. That would yeah. be great for Yeah, that was a great Netflix little series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Our June hangout and uh, our listeners and our watchers. Our, we still have three people watching. Thanks, guys. Woo! Retention. We Hi, actually everyone. had we actually had four people at one point. So oh, shout out to whoever it was who watched for part of the episode and came maybe had to go. I don't know. But thanks <laughs> for watching. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, thanks for listening. This episode will be up on our podcast feed as well in about a week. Um, and available on YouTube. If you only caught part of it, you can watch the whole episode streaming on YouTube. So definitely go check out our site, GameOnGirl.com. Check us out on Twitter at Game underscore on underscore girl. And I'm Doc Liz on Twitter. And uh, yeah, check us out. Say hi. Let us know what you think. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks for hanging out. And look for new articles from Sean and Micah in the future. Soon. Bye, guys. Game on. Game on. And until next time, game on. <laughs>